You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Psalm chapter 13, we are continuing our journey through the Psalms. Psalm 13 is really, really helpful as we think about the emotion of despair. Uh, In our society, it's most commonly referred to as depression. We're going to talk about that emotion and how that is an emotion that uh, has been around a long time. You can go back to the times of David. And David, who the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, dealt with depression. That's what Psalm 13 is about. It's not the only psalm about depression, by the way. You get into it again when you get over to uh, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Uh, But this psalm really highlights some things going on in David's life emotionally. So let's read Psalm 13, and then we'll get into it. Psalm 13, to the choir master, a psalm of David. So just let's think about this for a minute. To the choir master, this was a song written to be sung in corporate worship, right? And it's about despair. And they're going to sing about it in church. Now, why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because sometimes we feel like we can't talk to other people about our depression or our despair. We feel like, oh, this is my private deal, and if I tell people what I'm struggling with, they're going to think, uh, think poorly of me or it's going to embarrass me. And what happens is we get together, and we're in a corporate setting, and we're struggling, and someone says, how are you? You say, I'm good. How are things going? Fine. Fine. Right? And on the inside, we're a mess. This psalm really is an indicator that you and I should be comfortable talking about the realities of despair in the body of Christ. So that we know what to do with our despair and how to process our despair and how to deal with our despair with some folks around us that care about us. Amen? We've got got to get to a point, particularly in the body of Christ, it ought to start with us, where depression And these different emotions that affect people aren't taboo subjects. It's in the Bible, right? It's in the Bible. You're going to see this in Psalm 13. So look at me. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Hey, Belva. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have... Look at this word. Have sorrow in my heart all the day. Sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my eyes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Father, we pause in this moment to express our need for you. Lord, we believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. 
And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see the truths of Scripture, that we might see the beauty of the truths of Scripture, and we might see the power of the truths of Scripture when applied to our lives and responded to. So, Lord, use your word in our life. Help us tonight, Lord. Encourage us. Uh, instruct us. Transform us for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Kendall Easley says the major theme of the Psalms is this. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. John Piper, again, Connecting with the idea that the Psalms are really focused on the emotions, says the Psalms are songs, they are poems. They're written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And you name the emotion, just any emotion you can think of, you're going to find it in the Psalms in, in some way, shape, or form. And it's important that we connect with that and learn how to process those emotions in the presence of God, in our relationship with God. Now let me tell you, just kind of give you a big picture perspective of what Psalm 13 is about. This psalm chronicles David's movement from despair to settle trust in God. So we see that happen in this really short psalm, uh, six verses. Chronicles David's movement from despair to settled trust in God. So let's use that as an outline. If you look there in your notes, this psalm begins with despair. This psalm begins with despair. I'm using the word despair there in the text uh, in verse 2. David uses the word sorrow. That's what that Hebrew word translated means, despair, sadness, Again, a term that we use much in today's world is the term depression. Uh, This is a reality in many people's lives. And David dealt with this. And the psalm begins with it. Uh, And and notice that uh, he's taking that despair uh, to God. But let me show you a couple things to show you kind of what's going on in his heart emotionally. First of all, notice in verse 1... He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And then look at the next question. How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you hide your face from me? That makes me think of the Aaronic uh, blessing from number 6. Remember the blessing of Aaron on the people of God? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The idea of God's God's face shining upon his people, God turning his face towards towards his people, is the idea of blessing. May God bless you. May he turn his face to you, smile upon you. That's what that phrase means. So when David says, how long will you hide your face from me? David's saying, I'm basically experiencing the exact opposite of number six. (laughs) Instead of being blessed, instead of you smiling upon my life, it feels like, You've turned your face away from me. And I'm not experiencing that blessing. I'm not experiencing your smile. And then look what he says in verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my own soul? In other words, he's trying to figure this out in his own soul. And have sorrow in my heart all the day. Sorrow in my heart all the day. So I think it's pretty safe to say that David's dealing with some form of 
depression. Now, the depression or the despair is brought on by three realities that we see here in the text. First of all, we see despair brought on by difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances. So look what it says there in verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my own soul? David feels lonely. He feels like he's abandoned. In my own soul. Difficult circumstances. And then uh, he mentions at the end of verse 2, How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So he's dealing with enemies. And again, it's hard to know which enemies David's talking about because almost every point of David's life, was he he was dealing with enemies. (laughs) He had a lot of enemies. Philistines. Saul, Absalom's rebellion, uh, Sheba's rebellion. I mean, there's all these rebellions, all this fighting uh, going on in David's life. So he, he had enemies around him all the time. So there's something going on with his enemies, those that turned against him. And these difficult circumstances are part of the reason that David feels the despair. Not only difficult circumstances, but prolonged struggle. Notice how many times he asked the question, how long? Look in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? That's one. How long will you hide your face from me? That's two. Look in verse two. How long must I take counsel in my soul? That's three. And look at the last part of that verse. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That's four. Four times David asked the question, how long? How long is this pain going to last? How long is this circumstances that's causing my pain? How long is this going to last? It's prolonged struggle. And you know, if you deal with something in an ongoing way for a prolonged period of time, it has a way of wearing you down emotionally, right? You ever dealt with something that goes on and on and on and there's no end in sight and, and it's just there all the time and, and, it, and it just wears you down. I think that's what David's dealing with here. How long? How long? How long? How long? I think about the woman with the issue of blood that came and, and touched Jesus' hem of his garment. and She was healed when power left Jesus to heal her. He was on his way to deal with a death and bring about a resurrection. But on his way, this woman with the issue of blood uh, reaches out for healing. Do you remember how long the women, that woman was sick? Do you remember how long it was? Twelve years. That's a long. Twelve years is a long time, right? Twelve years. The the sickness just did not go away, and and she was worn down by prolonged struggle. And David's dealing that uh, with that here. So if you find yourself dealing with with something that just won't go away, you're in good company. David dealt with that too. But also, this despair is brought on by God's perceived distance. That word perceived is very important. God's perceived distance. Look what he says there in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Seems like I'm not even in your mind right now. And then he says in verse 1, How long will you hide your face from me? Again, you're not smiling on me. You're turning your face away from me. David felt distant from God. It felt as if God had forgotten him. I think that's why he says in verse 2, must I take counsel of my own soul? Am I left to my own devices to figure this out? God's perceived distance. Now it's interesting when you kind of compare this with the psalm before it, Psalm 12. If you remember Psalm 12, which we studied last week, David feels alone in the sense that 
the godly or the faithful seemed to have disappeared. He felt like he was the only one trying to serve the Lord. And there were ungodly folks everywhere that he looked. He felt, he felt lonely and left to himself as someone trying to do the right thing. In Psalm 13, David feels abandoned by God himself. And it brings about this despair. And if you and I are honest, and again, we need to be honest in the body of Christ. But if you and I are honest, there come times in life when you do not sense or feel the nearness of God. Right? In fact, it feels like God's a long ways away. And it feels like God is distant and not coming to your rescue. Perceived distance. So there are different reasons that David is dealing with despair. And by the way, this is not an exhaustive list of reasons that people deal with depression or despair or, or troubled spirit. There are all sorts of reasons you could add to this list. One of the things that brings about consternation is some people deal with depression and there's no, there's no reason there's nothing triggering it that they know of. It's just there, right? It's just a, 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 a black cloud hanging over their head. And that's difficult to deal with. So this is not an exhaustive list, but this is David's list. You have your list, things that cause despair in your life. I have my list, things that cause despair in my life. We all have a list, amen? This is David's list. And the bottom line is, he feels despair. And here's the reality we need to, we need to take hold of tonight. No one, again, this was a psalm to be sung, a song to be sung in church. Hey, let's sing about depression, right? No one is immune to times of severe despair and depression. No one's immune. You can, you can be walking with God and going through deep, dark valleys of emotional trauma. You can. You can love Jesus. And deal with despair. It's not, it's, it's not, it doesn't always line up with what's going on in your life spiritually. Sometimes there's not even a rhyme or reason for it. And if you look in the Bible, you see some of the great people of God dealing with depression. Elijah's one of them, right? Elijah, the great prophet of God, Mount Carmel, calls down fire on the altar, defeats the prophets of Baal in their showdown. The people that are witnessing this say, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. It was a great victory on behalf of the God of Israel, the one true God. But then Jezebel gets angry. Jezebel wants to, wants to get Elijah, and Elijah gets scared. And Elijah runs for his life into the wilderness. And Elijah gets to a place where he lays down and says, I want to die. Just go and take my life, Lord. Just go and take my life. And he's, just, he's in despair and depression right after a great spiritual victory. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? He went from a mountaintop, literally and figuratively, to a valley. Just like that. So, if it can happen to Elijah, he was a man of God. It can happen to you and it can happen to me, amen? David. As we see here, dealt with despair and depression. There are other psalms where we're going to see this as well. One of my preaching heroes, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, dealt with, with long bouts of depression. In fact, I came across a sermon that he preached from 1857 
And listen to the introduction to this sermon. This is him preaching to his people in London. And listen, listen to what he says. Periodical tornadoes and hurricanes will sweep o'er the Christian. He will be subjected to as many trials in his spirit as trials in his flesh. This much I know, Spurgeon says. If it be not so with all of you, it is so with me. In other words, Spurgeon said, if you haven't dealt with depression, I have. He goes on to say, I have to speak today to myself. And while I shall be endeavoring to encourage those who are distressed and downhearted, I shall be preaching, I trust, to myself. For I need something which shall cheer my heart. He goes on to say, this is Spurgeon, the preacher, in a sermon to his congregation. My soul is cast down within me. I feel as if I had rather die than live. I need your prayers. I need God's Holy Spirit. And I felt that I could not preach today unless I should preach in such a way as to encourage you and to encourage myself in the good work and labor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? This famous preacher, mighty man of God, mightily used by God. He, he pastored a megachurch before megachurches were even a thing. Saying to his congregation, you may not need this sermon, but I do. <laughs> I do. That's what Spurgeon's saying there. Spurgeon, by his own admission, in other places as well, dealt with severe depression. And so we see that this psalm begins with despair. But let me show you how the psalm ends. We look at the beginning, look at the end. The psalm ends with joy filled confidence. Look what it says there in verse 5. I've trusted in your, but, that word but is important there. It's a conjunction the Hebrew. He's drawing a contrast here. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. So verses 1 and 2, sorrow, sorrow, sorrow. Verses 5 and 6, I'm going to rejoice and sing. It ends with joy-filled confidence. See, what happens here is David comes to the conclusion that God has his best interest at heart. Look what he says there in verse 5. I have trusted in your steadfast what? Love. Your steadfast love. In other words, David says here in verse 5, I believe that the one true God, the Lord, He's my God, and I believe that He loves me. Now that word steadfast love, or translated steadfast love, in the, the Hebrew language is one word. It's the, it's the Hebrew word kesed. It's one of the most beautiful words in Hebrew. And, and, and it's so powerful, it's so packed with, with meaning, that one English word can't translate it. It, when you see it translated in the Bible, it'll usually you have the word steadfast with it or faithful with it, uh, along with the word love, because it's just such a big, big word. Dale Ralph Davis says this about the word kessid. It is not merely love, but loyal love. Not merely kindness, but 
dependable kindness. Not merely affection, but affection that is committed itself. It is not simply love, but love that refuses to ever let go. So, so David's saying, I know you're God. And I know that you love me with a love that will never let me go. It's a love that will never fail. It's a steadfast, faithful, persevering love. And hey, I don't feel it right now. It feels like you're distant. feels like your face is turned away. But here's what I believe. I believe that God loves me. He comes to that conclusion, that confidence in the love of God. And then David believed that God turns mourning into joy. Look what he says in verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Hey, just kind of a quick anecdote here, a quick parenthetical statement. I've seen this as a pastor through the years. I've seen people going through some emotional valleys. And the, the, the instinct is, I'm hurting and I don't feel like being around people. Right? Can you identify with that? I don't feel like being around people. Notice what David's doing here. He's singing. When, when you don't feel like being at church, that's probably when you need to be at church the most. You need it. You need to to remind yourselves that there's a God who loves you and that love will never let you go. And you need to sing in light of those truths because David believed that God turns mourning into joy. I'll sing the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, he says there, he has dealt bountifully with me. Notice that's past tense. What David's saying here is this. He's saying, I believe God's going to bring me through this. And I believe it to such a degree that I can speak of this event in past tense. That he's going to deal bountifully with me in this situation. Derek Kidner says, as, as for the past tense in which it is put, this springs evidently from David's certainty that he will have such a song to offer when he looks back at the whole way he has been led. So he uses past tense here to say, there's coming a time where God's going to deal with this, and I'll be able to look back on how he brought me out of the despair, and I'll sing. That's what he's saying. He had that kind of confidence that God would turn his mourning into joy. It reminds me of Psalm 30, verse 11, where the psalmist says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Not a Baptist verse. You've turned... It's a joke. You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That's what God does. God, Listen, God specializes. He specializes in stepping into the middle of our despair, our hardship, our depression, our sadness, our grief, our perplexity. He specializes in stepping right into the middle of that and turning things around and bringing you to a place where you can then praise God for his deliverance. Amen? You probably, if I went across the room, you could probably give some sort of testimony when you've seen God Step into your life and turn mourning into joy. And David has this this joy-filled confidence. Verse 5, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing joy-filled confidence in God's help. So, the psalm begins with honest despair. The psalm 
ends with joy-filled confidence. And here's the question we need to ask and then answer. How do you get there? How do you go from honest despair to joy-filled confidence? Well, we need to go back to the middle of the psalm. The middle of the psalm, verses 3 and 4, are the hinge on which this entire psalm swings. How do you go from despair to joy-filled confidence? Here's the answer. You ready? Honest prayer. Honest prayer. You say, Pastor Wade, after all this, you're going to tell me the solution is prayer? Yep. You say, I knew that already. Yep. We know it. We know it. But we've got to put it into practice. And David shows us here that that prayer is the hinge on which his transition swings. Uh, Dale Ralph Davis calls this the instinct of faith. In the midst of David's hardship, he he just instinctively says, even though I feel like God is looking away from me and God is distant from me, I know that I just got to keep praying. The instinct of faith. Hey, question. If God seems distant, and you're dealing with despair, where else are you going to go? Right? Where else are you going to go? So you've got to have the spiritual maturity to keep pushing through in prayer, to pray and keep praying. And notice here, David's prayer has three requests. Three requests. Request number one, consider me. Look there in verse 3. Consider. Consider. That word consider is literally the word for look or behold. So David's saying, would you, would you turn your gaze and fix your eyes on what I'm going through? Consider me. Now, it helps for us to voice this in prayer. But it's important to remember that if you are a child of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, He's considering you whether you feel it or not. In in fact, uh, hold your place, but turn over to to, uh, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Look what Jesus says in verse 29. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are one of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Jesus says here, if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, then God is your father, and you can know that God is considering you, just like he considers the sparrows, in a much greater way. So the first part of the prayer is, consider me. Back in Psalm 13, the second part of the prayer is, answer me. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Verse 3, he was He was looking for God to answer his prayer. And here's what spiritual maturity, here's the place that spiritual maturity will get you to when it comes to prayer. Are you listening? God answers prayer. 
Listen. In his perfect timing and in his perfect way. God answers prayer in his perfect timing, his perfect way. So pray. And as you pray, believe that God will answer you. Answer me, O God. And I believe that you will answer me in your perfect timing, in your perfect way. That's that's trust and confidence that God will respond to your prayers. Answer me. Aren't you glad that God answers prayer in his perfect timing, in his perfect way? By the way, the timing part's what gets us a lot, right? We want him to answer our prayer on our timeline, not his timeline. But God is wise and he knows what he's doing. We need to trust him. So consider me, answer me. Third part of the prayer, light up my eyes. He says it there in verse 3. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Just practically speaking, David's saying here, keep me alive. People want to kill me, don't let them kill me. That's pretty practical, right? They want to kill me, I don't want to die. That's what he means by light up my eyes. Keep the light of life going in my eyes. He wanted God to preserve him. He wanted God to keep him alive. This is a fancy way of David saying, listen, help. Help. Surrounded by enemies. Help. And I just want to encourage you with this. Sometimes when you're in a valley of despair, as uh, John Bunyan said in Pilgrim's Progress, a pit of despair, when you, when you find yourself there, one of the most theologically profound prayers you can pray is, Help! Just that simple. You say, Pastor Wade, I find myself in situations I don't even know how to pray. Just say, help. Can you say that? Help. Sometimes one-word prayers are powerful, right? Because they get to the heart of the issue. Prayer is therapeutic. It is a healing balm to a hurting soul. And God is a God not just of ends, he's a God of means. And God has chosen that he works through and responds to the means of his people bringing their lives before him in prayer. I came across this little poem. I don't even know where it came from. I don't know who the original author was. I'm not even sure where I found it. But it goes like this. When all things seem against us to drive us to despair, we know one gate is open, one ear will hear our prayer. I like that. No matter what you're going through, there's always the ear of heaven turning to listen to the cries of God's children. And I know it sounds simplistic and it sounds just like that's what the preacher ought to say. Hey, when you're depressed, pray. I mean, I know we all know that, right? We, we would raise our hands and that would be the answer we'd give in Sunday school. That's the Sunday school answer. But I'm telling you, it is the hinge on which your emotions go from Deep despair 
to joyful confidence. It's the way that God heals us. It's not the only answer. There are other practical things I would say to you about depression. We could, that's another sermon for another day. We need the body of Christ. We need encouragement. We need the word of God to instruct us and guide us and speak to us. And, and all, you know, all that's a part of it. There may be some, even a cl- some clinical help that we need. There, there, there's all sorts of answers to that question. But w- whatever the helps are that are out there to help us through our depression and despair, certainly, certainly it all starts with prayer, right? Calling out to God when all things seem against us to drive us to despair. We know one gate is open. One ear will hear our prayer. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.